we need a lot of help from God. We need help. And we need help in prayer, probably in uh, more than any area of our lives. And so it was a really good request of the Lord Jesus when his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is in Luke chapter 11, precisely what the disciples asked Jesus. Just as he was beginning to, to set his face like flint and to turn to go to Jerusalem, to the cross, the disciples asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus is the best teacher, the great teacher, and he loves to teach with story and with imagination. He doesn't like to just impart information, but likes to drive to the heart. And that's what he does. He is absolutely, Jesus is absolutely disgusted by the prayerlessness of his people. He's disgusted by the prayerfulness of his people that is rooted in ritual and externalism and vain repetition. And so he teaches about the heart of prayer, about a relationship of child with a father that, that prays in desperation, and he teaches us to pray. And the first thing that he teaches us is the what of prayer. What do we pray for? He gives us five requests. The first two were prayer for the glory of God. Father, hallowed be your name. And secondly, your kingdom come. And then, uh, because God's glory is always first, but out of the glory of God flows the good of man, there are three what's of prayer, three requests regarding uh, the good of man. The first request was prayer for provision, give us each day our daily bread, and then for pardon, and forgive us our sin, as for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And third, for our good is for our protection. That was last message in Luke chapter 11, and lead us not into temptation. So Jesus gives us, the first thing he wants us to know about prayer is the what of prayer. He gives us these five requests. But after that, he moves on and he's still teaching all the, on prayer all the way through verse 13. And he's going to move on from the what of prayer to really a big issue in the externalism of that day. And perhaps a big issue in the busyness and franticness of our day is the how of prayer. The how of prayer. To that he turns and he's going to teach us now, not kind of through words, but he's going to teach us through a parable. So if you're not there yet and you're visiting with us, please take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 11. And let's start reading. And our text this morning will be specifically verses 5 through 10 on this parable about how to pray. But because we haven't been here in a while, and thanks Pastor Jim for preaching in, in Romans chapter 6 for us. It's, we've heard some good things. It's been helpful. Because we're taking a break, uh, let's start reading at verse 1 of Luke chapter 11. Now when we get to verses 5 through 10 in that parable, try to think about what the main point is. And let me just stir you up here. Whatever you think the main point is, I don't, think, I don't think that's what it is. And so, challenge yourself as, as I read verses 5 through 10. And then we'll unpack it by God's grace. Okay, but let's get the context. And it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Now our passage, verses 5 through 10. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, Because he is his friend, yet, because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. We'll end right there today, next week, come back for the why, the ultimate why of prayer in verses 11 through 13. It is another surprise passage. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked... For an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The what, today the how, and next week the why of prayer from the lips of Jesus. Now, You all tried to find the theme, and I imagine that you landed on verse 8 as the main point, or I'm sorry, actually, yeah, verse 8. And yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And I agree that that this verse 8 really captures the theme, and I'm going to have to explain what this word means. But let me just tell you something about prayer from the how of it. Just right at the beginning. Jesus is not interested in our ritual, our memorization, our um, externalism. He is after relationship and died to bring us to the Father We need the Spirit. The Trinity is here all over this passage. He's died to bring us in relationship to Himself. He wants our hearts. Whatever else, this persistence and this repetitive knocking and seeking and asking is, whatever else it is, it is absolutely not what the Pharisees were doing. It is the disciples had no idea because of the superficial... uh, lostness of Israel in that day that was pictured in even Eli and his miss, but also in 400 silent years and the external pharisaical religion that did not get to the heart and did not understand relationship. Whatever this means, it must mean that this prayer, this how, is that we're all in. We're all in. This is all of us in, from the heart in relationship with God. I want you to get that right from the beginning in the how of prayer. And so because we're talking about praying from the heart and the kind of attitudes and desires that fuel our prayer, there are two ways. There are two ways that we pray from the heart from this parable. There are two ways that we pray from the heart in this parable. We're going to unpack both this morning. Number one, verses 5-7, through seven, by humbly recognize your desperate need. At the heart of prayer is a humble recognition of your desperate 
need. Verse 5, Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Okay, now I want you guys to put aside didactic teaching, and yeah, notes is fine, but I want you to use your imagination here. Let's try to enter into the story. That's going to be fun. You ready? Okay, now I want to put you first in the shoes of the main character in this parable. The guy who's in an absolute panic. Been there? Ever? He's on panic mode. It's late at night, it's late at night, and he hears a pounding on his own door. And a long-lost friend he hasn't seen in years shows up at the door. It's dark out. Everything's closed. And this friend, he recognizes him, is completely exhausted, dirty, his clothes are tattered, and he's really, really hungry. And he's knocking on the door. You open up the door. He's all sweaty. He shows up. And you recognize him, and he says, can you, brother, can you give me something to eat? I, I'm, I'm starving. It's been a long journey. And you're so shocked. You're like, oh no, I didn't go to Costco. You, you, didn't, you, you don't have any food for this friend. You have nothing. And you're embarrassed, and you're kicking yourself for your planning and not being ready for this sort of opportunity for hospitality, because in that culture, in the ancient Near East, it was a shameful thing. It was a shameful thing not to be able to provide some measure of hospitality and help for a friend. (laughs) And I get it that we're not there, but they just have such a high value in that culture on hospitality in Jesus' day. It just, it was just, we're, we just don't understand it in our culture. And so this is a friend of yours, and you want to help, and there's, um, not only do you desire to help, but there are cultural expectations. We know that. There's cultural expectations to help. You can't do it. So he's absolutely desperate, and you're absolutely desperate. You're right there to get some bread for your friend who has arrived. It's dark out. You have no, you're brainstorming, the stores are closed, you've got one option that you can think of, walk down that dusty road underneath the stars in the middle of the night, which is what the text says, it's the middle of the night, and knock on the door of, of your neighbor friend and see if you can get some bread. Three loaves should do it. You hate to do that to your friend. But it's the lesser of two evils. And you need that bread. And so, so here you are. It's dark out. You're standing outside that door. You're ready to, to pound, but you hesitate. Your heart is pounding and you yourself are starting to sweat. I can't believe I'm doing this in the middle of the night. To disturb the whole family. Your friend who has to get up early and provide for his own family. But you've got to do it, and so you pound. Now I want you to switch and pretend you're the friend in the house right now. Switch. Okay, let's imagine. Anybody been awakened from a deep sleep before? In Jesus' day, I'm sure they did lose sleep because of anxiety, like we do, maybe. But I would think probably more just physical exhaustion from trying to do what you had to do to to get food. 
So it's midnight, you've worked hard all day, you're tired, you're sleeping, it's not that it's really deep sleep, it's the middle of the night, and you're startled out of that deep, deep sleep by a kind of metallic clanking and rubbing of the type of door that they had, and the locking mechanism would be just noisy and obnoxious on the doors of, of that day. You can hardly function. You, you, you try to get up to put, to put a stop to the, to the noise. You trip over something. You stumble, and you get to the door. Your heart is racing, and I don't know if you've ever been woke up in the middle of the night, the first thing I wonder if someone's breaking in. My heart's racing. I run, you run downstairs. You wonder where where the baseball bat is or whatever. And you can't think clearly. It's not fun in the middle of the night to hear a pounding at the door. There's fear. There's anxiety. There's irritation. There's annoyance. There's confusion all wrapped up in one. And we find that in the heart of the friend who's woken up. Verse 7. And from inside, he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut. And my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Yeah. And you have to understand that um, it, was, it wasn't a multi-level house like ours. It was a one-level house. They had a mat where the whole family slept on. And this guy had kids. And, they're, and it's noisy. And the kids are going to be all stirred and awake through this. My children are in bed. I've got nine kids back in the day when we successfully, when and if, successfully got them all sleeping. We looked at each other and said, don't breathe, don't move. Don't move. They're asleep. This guy's like that, but they're all in the open room. And the knock on the door comes. A huge inconvenience to wake that whole family up. And he doesn't, this guy doesn't even open up the door. He's going to speak from the inside. He's frustrated and he's unwilling because his kids are sleeping. And he wants this guy to get a clue and go away and not wake his family up. Now this is a parable about prayer. The how of prayer, the heart of prayer. This man who was going to do this to his friend wouldn't do this unless he was what? Desperate. He just wouldn't wake up the whole family. Between a rock and a hard place. Ever been there? Anybody there? With your finances? With your health care? With your house project? With your family situation? With the remainders of dwelling sin that you just, this, this persistent sin, you just can't get a hold of with the loneliness, with the rejection. Just desperate. Panicked, even. I just love that Jesus knows that about me. And he knows that we're right here, that his disciples, they're messes. And they're right here, desperate. The heart of desperate need, Jesus said, is the heart that I desire to teach you about. That's the heart that you come to your Father with. A humble dependence 
a desperate need is at the very heart and the very essence of any true prayer. Lord, help me. Help me because I need help. No, a specific request. Three loaves should do it. This is the very heart of prayer. I'm telling you, if your prayer is characterized by real requests, real time, fear, pounding heart, need, desperation, that is not you being unspiritual. That is maybe the most spiritual moment of need in your life where prayer will actually, in relationship, will be actually experienced with your Father in heaven. That may be the first time you've ever prayed. If Jesus is right here. Which He is. This is the reality of the book of Psalms. If you read the book of Psalms, we know, we've learned, we can sing the book of Psalms. Psalm 35 verse 17, Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue my soul from their ravages, my, own, my only life from the lions. Or, Psalm 28, verse 1, To you, O Lord, I call, my rock, do not be deaf to me. For if you are silent to me, I will become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplication when I cry to you for help. This is the heart of the psalmist. They're not in doubt. They're not giving up on their God. Read the rest of the psalm. This is the heart and the struggle and the, the desperation of a true believer. Not a false believer. Not a doubter. Of a true believer. This is what Jesus wants. This is what the Pharisees had no clue about. They had no relationship. No desperation. Just vain repetition. This is prayer. This is the how of prayer. What do you need, brother or sister? Don't be afraid. Knock on the door. Go to your Father and ask. The first way we pray from the heart is to humbly recognize our desperate need. To humbly recognize our desperate need. Where are you at today? I look around this room. I guess this is why a pastor preaches to his people. I just see desperate need. It's who we are. Go to Him. Go to Him at midnight. Knock on the door. Tell Him. Be specific. So as we continue in this parable, let's find out how the man behind the door responded. A little bit more. Let's unpack his response. And that will lead, as we do that, that will lead us to the second how. The second way that we pray from the heart. We know it's from the heart. We know we're all in. This is no joke. This is no ritual. This is relationship. But how? We come to Him with our desperate need. And number two, here we go. Get ready. Put your seatbelt on. The surprise. Number two, the second way we pray from the heart, all in, we shamelessly plead. We shamelessly plead for our specific needs. Or make it personal, you shamelessly plead for your specific needs. Verse 8. Look at verse 8. Jesus is teaching. He's going to give us the point of the parable here. He's done with the story. He's going to give us the point. That's how parables work. Incidentally, there's usually one main point. And here it is. Verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because, of, because he is his friend, just because they're friends isn't going to get the job done of get, uh, uh, in that situation of being woke up in the middle of the night. It's not going to. Yet, because of his persistence, he will get up and give him 
as much as he needs. Now, the original text puts the emphasis in a fun structure for you scholars. It's called a chiastic structure. So the emphasis is on the two because statements. The emphasis of this whole parable is easy to see in the original language. It's not because he is his friend, but it's because of his persistence. And so we're locked in to figure out what that word persistence means if we're going to understand the point of this parable. And this is precisely where we go wrong. Because when, I, when you read this, here's, the, here's what comes to your mind. Are you ready? That you knock for five minutes and that doesn't work and you keep knocking 15 minutes later and 20 minutes later and then six hours, you keep knocking persistently and eventually a very annoyed individual on the inside with arms grumpy like this will, will come to you and, and if you just keep going, you know, if you just really work really hard and you just keep persisting, 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 God will finally be interested in you and get up and maybe answer your prayer. Isn't that how we read this? Wrong. That is the opposite point that Jesus is making. The New American Standard misses it on the translation here. I don't think persistence, I'll say it nicely, is the best translation. Now, if you have an English Standard Version, we could do this interaction to be more fun. If you look at your ESV text, what does it say there? Impudence. Is that negative or positive connotations? It's negative. Kids, what does impudence mean? Impudence means impertinence. What does impertinence mean? It means an arrogant, offensive persistence. That does not capture this. Jesus is teaching us the how to pray and it's not a negative. Persistence is at least a, maybe a positive trait. Impudence does not capture it either. So what does this mean? This word translated persistence is only used right here in all of the New Testament. The original word then, as you look at the other times it's used in, in like literature in the Greek, it refers to an interesting combination, which is hard to translate, in a combination of boldness and shamelessness. So the stress is not on persistence, like some sort of repetition saying something over and over again, but on the boldness. Are you ready? Now let's get this. The boldness or the nerve of that guy to knock on the door and wake that family up in the middle of the night. That, the nerve of that guy. The, the shamelessness of that guy. But not in a negative way. Ugh, it's hard to translate. It's a shamelessness to go in prayer so how do you translate this? Well, if you're being awake, uh, woken up in the middle of the night, you're not happy about it. That's Jesus is making that picture. Let's say this works for Brandon. Let's give a Brandon illustration. Let's say your company gives you a brand new truck. True story. Sorry, Brandon, maybe I shouldn't have said that. That wasn't in my notes. You really like your truck. You like to wash it. And there's not a scratch on it yet. And your neighbor comes up to you, the, sh the, the audacity of this guy, the shamelessness of this guy, and says, I got to haul, hey Brandon, brother, I got to haul some cinder blocks. Can I borrow your truck? Not mine. You got the point of the passage. You get the feel? My neighbor in, in the cul-de-sac, he's moved now, was a staunch, is, he's moved, he's a staunch, dyed-in-the-wool conservative Donald Trump fan. He's also a public school teacher. Interesting combination. He had a Donald Trump hat that he put in his classroom up on the cabinet just to, so everyone could see it. just to get a rise. 
Let's just say that he doesn't have the hat there anymore, but he still has his job. The nature of this word is captured in that. It's captured in the word, have you ever heard of the word, you got chutzpah? Got a little chutzpah? This is extreme audacity and shamelessness and self-confidence. And if you're getting that, you're getting close to the word. If you have the new, the new international version, anybody have the NIV on their lap? They nail it. A good translation of this word. Pretty good. As good as we can get. Here it is. I'm going to read this verse in the NIV. Here we go. I tell you, Jesus says, even though He will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, your shameless audacity, He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. As you need. So what is Jesus saying? How do we pray from our heart? How do we come to our Father? Jesus is teaching us to come to our Father and shamelessly plead for your specific needs. He wants, He's teaching us something positive. He wants you to be this way. This is not negative in the parable. We need to come to our Heavenly Father with a shameless audacity. We need to have the chutzpah to ask even this and even that at this time. After what we've done to ask God for this or for that. After our past to be able to ask Him for something in the future. We need to have shameless audacity to come to our Father. This is what the text is saying. I'm trying to figure it out too. But it reminded me of Hannah. as a biblical illustration. It did. It reminded me of her. I'm sad about it. You know, not every culture, we got our cultural problems. In that culture, the two wives thing, and Hannah, in that culture, with the, the shame and the discouragement and the distress and the disappointment and the outright dishonor of not being able to have a baby in that culture. And then to have not only that, but her rival, that other woman that would just rip her apart to the point where she just couldn't even eat and would just weep before God and to have a husband that says, what, am, am I not enough? How does that work, guys? <laughs> Husbands. That one works well. <laughs> and then they have a pastor, Pastor Eli, Priest Eli, calls you a drunk when you're communing with your Lord. Well, she's greatly distressed in her great need, in her desperation. Who else is she going to go to? Her husband? Her priest? He goes to her God. Directly to her God. And she is so desperate to commune with her God. She's weeping bitterly. She's praying to the Lord. She's greatly dis distressed. Her lips are moving. You think... Are we so sanitized in our prayer? I mean, we ought to be a mess. We're a mess. Her lips are moving. Eli thinks she's drunk. No, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I am desperate. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have, but here it is, I have poured out my, that's prayer, I have poured out my soul before the Lord. I've spoken, she says, out of my great concern and provocation. This is the shameless audacity and she was heard. And this is what Jesus is saying. And so, He wants to build on that point of that shameless audacity and He does in verses 9 and 10. So look at it. So, bringing some measure of conclusion to this parable. So, I say to you, Ask, and it will be, be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. These are metaphors for prayer. Asking, and seeking, and knocking, which I think is where people get the assumed repetitive, 
repetitive interpretation of that word persistence. You know, from the idea you keep knocking. The text doesn't say that. And it is actually, the way Jesus says this is, listen to this. He's, he's actually, just, it's hard to translate. Okay, let me try it. Verse 10, everyone who is one asking will receive. And supply the one. Everyone who is, who is one seeking will find. And everyone who is one knocking, it will be opened. And so he's describing the prayer where the believer, the disciple, is, is characterized persistently. It's like an occupational term, an identity term. Christian, you are a knocking one. Christian, you are a seeking one. Christian, you are a asking one. That is your very nature. That is who you are from the inside out. This is no ritual. This is who you are. Do you see? This is what Jesus is saying. And look at the confidence. Now we're going to add to our definition of prayer. Shameless audacity. We're going to add one word to that because of these verses. Are you ready? Two words. Confident, shameless audacity because of identity. Write that down. Confident, shameless audacity because this is who we are. Our identity in the family. Confident, shameless audacity because of identity. Ask. Does this sound like it might be given? Ask, and it future tense. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. And it will be opened for you. Connecting back now to help us to understand the parable with the, do with the door knocking. It will be opened to you. This is the point. We come to our Heavenly Father with confident, shameless audacity. This is our very nature as a seeking one, a knocking one, an asking one. This is because our hearts have been reborn. We are children of God. We are all in. We need to remember this. We need to know who we are. We need to stop playing games. We need to go to God. Go to Him with the request for His glory and for our good. And He's concerned about in this parable more about you than anything else. He's concerned that you are not like the Pharisees of old, external, but from the heart you are an asking one, a seeking one, a knocking one. He's concerned about your attitudes, not your external actions. He's concerned that you have a relationship with the Father from the heart. And He's telling you the how of prayer that you humbly recognize your desperate need and shamelessly plead for your specific needs. He's teaching us the how of prayer. We need this just as much as the disciples did. Don't we? I mean, we're oftentimes maybe most of the time in our prayers, this is not how we're at, if we pray at all. We're heartless, wooden, formal, bored, tired. There's, there's no desperation. Except for when we're done with our prayers, if we had time for them. There's desperation to get to the list of things to do. Oh yeah. Oh, there's desperation in our lives. <laughs> there's any number of reasons that there's no desperation and there's no pleading. I think there's a few reasons. One of them is theological. There's theological reasons. I mean, who's this God? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom God. This thrice holy God who we think somehow has wound up this universe, including our spiritual lives, and set us to do our thing, and is just 
dealing with, you know, North Korea right now, or whatever it is. Distant and transcendent. Certainly can't be bothered by this mundane request for three loaves, or this hurt in my heart, or this constant failure that I need help on. He's not interested. He's transcendent. He's holy. He's set apart. I'm a sinner. I don't want to interrupt him. Why bother him with this? It's just such a simple burden that's on my heart. Maybe I should just read the Bible today. It's not that big a deal. Or maybe there's an idol in our hearts and we're just not willing to bring it to him. We just don't really want it dealt with. We're not desperate to be rid of it. Desperate to fight against it. Maybe we're just being too pious in our prayers because we hope for promotion. Maybe we're just distracted in our prayers because we're too busy working in our own strength. I'm not quite sure. I'm brainstorming now. Why will we not pray this way? Maybe we've got it figured out and we have our priorities in our own hands. Maybe we're on the throne of our own hearts anyways. And maybe we've just gotten burned and we're tired and discouraged and we've forgotten our first love. We've forgotten who we are and the joy of intimate fellowship with God. Maybe, and this is a scary one, maybe our conscience has been hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and we just... We just, we're not stirred up anymore from the heart. We, we watch that show or whatever it is. There's just no conviction anymore. When we get a, someone offends us and we lash back at them and they deserve it rightly so. We're just not aware anymore because we've been hardened by the danger that we're in when our, with our own walk with God. We're not desperate in our walk with God. We are able to supply our own needs. What is the reason... I, and let me just ask each of you, what is the reason that we lack confident, shameless audacity and desperation in our prayer before God? What is it in our lives, in your life? Because God wants us to bring it all and to bring it every day, the mundane request to God. Do not be anxious for anything but in everything. By prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Lord, help me. I've done it again. I like what one preacher says. If you take the word of Jesus seriously here, it, this means, quotes, that we will bring our most, are you ready? That we will bring our most dead-end, embarrassing, insoluble sorts of requests and needs to our Father. No shame or hesitancy will hold us back. End quotes. Would this not change our personal prayer life if, if the Lord would give us this heart? Would this not change our grace group prayer life or our corporate prayer life if we had this kind of desperation together for God and we recognize that this is actually what the Christian life looks like, not a sign of somehow of Weakness, but this is it. If we're not distracted by pious platitudes, but we're in just desperate need of God. Who can pray, pray this prayer? Look at verse 9. Verse, uh, look at verse 10. For, notice the word for. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now, I want to take note, is, it just, is this prayer just for the Pharisees or the pastors or the Elis? Is it just, just for Pastor Jeff and Pastor Jim? Is this just for Charles Haddon Spurgeon? Or the person who's walked with the Lord for 40 years can bang on the door at midnight? No, the text says, for everyone... And this is, this is a promise. These are promises in verse 10. Who asks, receives. Who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks. That's where the word confidence come, comes from. These are promises here. Everyone can do this. This is for everyone. Every believer is given these promises. And if we could capture 
shameless audacity, the confidence in the promises and the fact that we should all come and the Holy Spirit would help us, this would change our lives as Christians. How far short are we? Well, I mean, it's a difficult situation when you're desperate and banging on the door at midnight and then difficult to get up and supply the need. So this whole, don't think it's going to be easy. Prayer is brutal. Prayer is difficult. Prayer is like this parable. It's difficult. That's normal. It's hard work. It makes sense then of Pastor Epaphras playing for the Colossian church in Colossians 4.12. Listen to this description of prayer. Epaphras in Colossians 4.12, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings. Listen, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. It's hard. We're a mess. He wants everyone to come. Their promises, we're in relationship. Take courage, this is good stuff. Because we're all right here as believers. We're just so needy. Now listen. People have read this as that God is the grumpy friend. Sleep in His eye. And we keep banging for a couple hours, He'll get up. That's not the way we read this. That is the opposite point that Jesus is making. Jesus is constantly arguing from the lesser to the greater in this passage. Next week, we'll see it in full bloom. If we, being evil dads, know how to good, good, good gifts to our kids, how much more our Father in Heaven? And so what Jesus is actually teaching is the opposite point. If your friend, if you with shameless audacity and in desperate need that is visualized and heard by your friend, if your friend gets a glimpse of your heart and your great need, not your constant banging, that's not what that word means. It's not about persistence. If, you're, if your friend, a man, who's annoyed with sleep in his eye and confused with his arms like this, will respond to that, how much more your heavenly Father, whose arms are open, who longs to have you come to Him at any time, how much more will you, Father in heaven, respond when you come to Him with confident, bold audacity because of your identity and desperate need? He longs to respond to the humble and broken of spirit. He longs to open up that door. That's what Jesus is teaching here. This is about confidence in our Heavenly Father from the lesser to the greater. Come next week and you'll hear all about it because that's where Jesus goes. Here's what I'm trying to say about God. You, God never folds His arms and is annoyed with you because you're asking yet again for this thing and stumbling yet again in this issue or sin. He's not annoyed with you. His arms are open wide. He longs for you to come to Him Broken and needy and humble. He's not grumpy and irritated with you, sleep in his eye. He is approachable. That's the point. God is approachable. He wants you to knock on his door. He is willing. He loves it. He's always ready. He wants to be disturbed at midnight. Some of you know that I have a Duluth pack here, a bag, and I'm sort of a, a nut about that bag because in it there are computers and money. So you know, like even if I go to a hotel, I won't even leave it in the hotel with a locked door. I will take it out with me. My wife says, you're crazy. You need to stop. And so I go, okay, all right, I'm going to try it today. I'm going to keep it in there and trust the hotel staff. So what I'll do, I'll do something sneaky. I'll put a do not disturb on the door like someone's in there so they'll leave my bag alone. There's never for our God a do not disturb sign on the door. He wants us to knock on that door and come to Him with shameless audacity. This reminds me of that woman. She's going to go into that meal with Jesus and the Pharisees. She's going to let her hair down which was not appropriate in that day. 
and she's going to weep all over his dirty feet and then wipe wipe his feet off with her tears and her hair and they're going to be mocking her except for Jesus. But why does she come to Him with shameless audacity and such confidence? Because she's, she knows forgiveness. She's in relationship with Jesus. And she comes to Him out of love. And that's the heart that Jesus wants. He's not content with externalism. He wants our heart. This is about a heart of relationship with our Heavenly Father. He is willing He is able. He is approachable. He is good. Go to Him. Go to Him for help. Please stand with me as I read Psalm 121 and we close. Listen to the heart of your Father. This is His heart. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. The mountains, when you're taking a a journey in that day, that's where the robbers come down and assault you. There's danger in the hills. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He's available at midnight. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forever. And so to go to Him. Confident, shameless audacity. Because you're in that psalm. And you are a child of God. You can be seated.